Hey everyone, it's Michael Ellsberg, and I am very excited to be in conversation again for the second time uh, with one of my teachers and mentors, Michaela Bohm. And Michaela is just always blows my mind with her perspectives on the topics of spirituality and sexuality, and particularly the intersection between the two. I always find that I'm learning. I always find that she's giving me a new counterintuitive, but also intuitive. And you're like, oh, as soon as you say it, it totally makes sense. Um, so thank you for being here, Michaela. Well, thanks for having me back. So we're going to talk about some misunderstandings around various terms and distinctions that uh, get thrown around a lot in the personal growth world, in the conscious sexuality and relationship world. And the reason we're doing this is I heard the way you talked about these things and they were so different than the sort of orthodoxy, if you will, that I often hear in this community that, that I wanted to hear your, um, your take on it. Mm, all right. Uh, one caveat I want to put into what we're saying is we're mostly talking hear about uh, men or people who identify as men and women, people who identify as women, people, men who identify specifically as masculine, uh, women who identify specifically as feminine. That is the domain we're mostly talking about here. So we don't want to um, imply that these dynamics don't exist in male to male relationships or female to female or in trans relationships or um, you know, different types of non-binary relationships, but we actually specifically are talking about this people who intentionally play with these binaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, uh, you know, everything we talk about applies in all different kind of, um, constellations in different ways or in exactly the same ways. It's just since I'm, uh, you know, working in a very, a narrow domain mostly. I don't mean anybody, uh, you know, to exclude anybody or mean any disrespect to anybody because these things are um, applicable every which way. But we are talking about the stereotypes that come from uh, mixing up men and masculine and women and feminine specifically. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so one of the distinctions between two different terms that gets used a lot in the quote unquote conscious sexuality sort of Bay area workshop, uh, self development <laughs> world, Bay area and LA West coast, uh, and all over. Uh, one of these distinctions is between presence and the storm. And the idea is in this way of thinking the way to be masculine is to be very still and deeply present and, the way to be feminine is to be this wild, chaotic raging of expression and emotions and emotions. And um, what are some of the ways you think those concepts get it right? And what are some of the ways you think that it gets misunderstood or misused? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, nowadays, I think it, more of it is misused than getting it right. But of course, all of these things come from a place um, of 
uh, you know, something that's deeply felt in the body because that's how, that's how it started, right? So somehow it is assumed that a present man is a deep man and that somehow by doing certain things, you become this, uh, you know, godlike creature, you know, this empty, full of death and, uh, you know, destiny and purpose creature. But that's actually not true. You know, the guy who shows up for a workshop and uh, is considered by his woman or the woman in the workshop as, uh, you know, not deep and not present, then learns a set of skills and then somehow miraculously this set of skills makes him a deep and present man. Well, if it was that easy, right, then he would leave as a changed human and he would go home and he would live happily ever after as a deep and present man. But that's not actually the case because you can't acquire depth and, you know, real sourceness in, you know, in something deeper in a weekend. Mm -hmm. So how it's often done and... um there's a few things that you always hear, right? So how that kind of a man behaves is he's very still. Um, he uh, has a steady gaze. Um, he's somewhat relaxed in his lower body. He, he feels like he's very centered. Um, he can keep his attention. He can pay attention. So you, 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 you look at that and you go, Oh, that's a, you know, to stick with the dogma, right? That's a deep and present man. Oh, so, okay. So how do we make this guy a deep and present man? Oh, well, we'll have him stand with the feet hip width apart and the toes pointing forward. And then we're going to have him bend his knees. And then the next thing he's going to do, some other guy is going to pat him or hit him in the belly and then he'll, <laughs> You know, he'll start breathing into the belly and now he's staring into his partner's eyes steadily <laughs> and his tongue is no longer moving. And so now we have ourselves a deep and present man, right? Yeah. Now, Wait, just, I just have to say, I, the reason I'm <laughs> laughing is because I've been in so many of those of workshops course. where somehow like getting whacked with a stick has something... Uh, you know, to do with presence. Well, I guess the yeah. Zen masters did that with their well, students yes, or but something. they also they and there's a reason for that, and it has nothing to do with being punished. We can talk about that later. But they are whacking people who are actually sitting for hours and hours and hours and hours, dedicated practitioners for a very specific, um, uh, you know, purpose, and not some dude who just walked off the street to learn how to get laid. Now, mind you, like I said, I have, uh, you know, I have done some of these things myself over the years to find out they don't work because what you're doing is you are essentially taking the kind of the facsimile, right? The, the estimation of what it looks like when somebody has that actual state as a, as owns that state as, you know, and, and make it like a, um, uh, an artificial state based on a set of behaviors. And then, of course, how this goes in those workshops is the guys do that. And then the women who have been, you know, who have been a told that this is how it needs to be and b see the improvement, uh, even though it's not the real thing, you know, go, oh, yeah. Oh, this is so much better, right? And that also gets encouraged. So then the guys learn. It's a little bit like monkey see, monkey do, you know. 
if you if you just breathe into your balls and stare into your woman's eyes while sounding like a locomotive um and then you know in other circles in Europe you see that often the guys like do these <gasps> <gasps> kind of breathing and they have like a little bit of moaning going on and their kundalini rises through their spine as they twitch with intent gaze right and i mean there's all different kinds of versions of that particular you know thing where you essentially um uh you know uh, put the 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 guesstimate of what it would look like if it was real onto somebody who has actually in their nervous system zero ability to hold that particular state mm. uh, and so um it works temporarily um if you are into that kind of thing right it almost tastes like butter uh it's not butter but it almost tastes like butter right <laughs> <laughs> it's it's that kind of a thing, right? It's better than what it was before, but it's not the real thing. What everyone wants to know then is what is the butter? If all that stuff can only get you to almost butter, where do you get the butter? <laughs> well, when you actually start, um, you know, kind of relaxing your body and feeling uh, who you really are and sourcing from the place of who you really are, uh, not who you're supposed to be and not based on just trying to please mommy or your girlfriend or your wife or whomever, right? Or the, the great mother in the sky. <laughs> when you, when you essentially start feeling, um, to what is happening with you in that particular moment and you have a kind of an honesty, um, uh, with yourself, you know, you know, you've of course met Steve, you know, Steve causes kind of calls that the intimacy the intimacy with yourself, then these things happen naturally, but they look slightly different from person to person because it's not a set of behaviors that's superimposed over who the human really is. So what I hear you saying is uh, that it's almost like life experiences that make you know who you are as a human being. Actually, Knowing yourself, which is often done through a lot of hard-won life experience, is what makes one present. Uh, well, that's one way to look at it. That's certainly true that a hard-earned life uh, experience does make you, uh, I would say that makes you a deeper human being if you want to go with deep and, you know, present and all of that. But it's, it's actually simpler than that. It's act, being honest with what is happening within you. Mm. In that particular moment. Yes. So if you are standing in front of a woman, right, and you are asked to, uh, whatever, you know, reveal the goddess or, or presence the goddess or, or worship the goddess or, or any form thereof, right? When you actually feel yourself and you feel what's happening with you, uh, without trying to superimpose certain things or do it right or look spiritual or whatever, right? Then that particular honesty with your actual um, being immediately um, relaxes something in you and it rests something in you because you're not uh, you're not um, unclear about who you are in relationship to what's required of you and in relationship to that person across from you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the other side of 
this split or dichotomy of presence and that's typically thrown around like it's supposed to be a masculine trait or it's this is what men are supposed to do and then the other thing you hear is on the flip side of that that women are supposed to be this wild emotional storm and mm. i know you had some contrary thoughts on that one when a woman is essentially viewed as a navigation device right where where it's where it says that oh um you know, a good woman will show you her storm and the storm then is the way that you navigate your life and she'll tell you when you're on purpose or off purpose and all of those kind of things. What you're essentially saying is that any emotion is the truth, right? And uh, that any emotion that that is felt as a reactivity, for instance, is uh, good to have the man navigate and it's great feedback. And what's true about that is that, of course, when you are a woman, um, having that kind of honesty, we just talked about, uh, you know, with the presence, when you have that kind of honesty with your own feelings and your own body, then you are um, responsive. But that's not the same as being reactive. Mm-hmm. And that's where people get really, really tripped up because just because I'm feeling something and I react to those feelings doesn't necessarily mean that what I'm feeling is actually um, accurately representing what's happening across from me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, while responsiveness uh, is allowing whatever comes through your body comes through, but it is not necessarily tinged by, uh, you know, the trauma or the hair triggers or the reactivity or the old stuff that 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 all of us have in our body. Mm-hmm. So when you encourage this whole thing where the guy has to just take it, right? Because he's like so deep and present, nothing perturbs him. And she gets to, you know, just um, spew anything that comes through her out. Um, and it's considered that the man should navigate by that. You're doing both people a huge disservice. Uh, you know, and, and when we talk about women, um, when a woman essentially is invited to act out her reactivity without actually examining it or act out her reactivity without deciding what of it is really old stuff, you know? Um, and it's like, Oh yeah, I showed him my Kali, you know? Uh, it's not, you know, Kali is emptiness of um, preference. It's just destruction for the sake of destruction and rebirth. It's not because you you know, didn't wash the dishes 10 minutes earlier or whatever. That's not Kali at all. And so the, the, the glorifying of unchecked, um, at times very abusive emotion is, um, is very dangerous because it also makes it that, uh, then women don't actually develop those capacities. It doesn't allow a woman to define, um, her reactions vis-a-vis uh, what's happening out there in the world and vis-a-vis what's happening with her psychologically or trauma-based or things like that. So then one of the 
one of the real bad things that can happen in the extreme situation where this plays out kind of almost as a cult is that the women also lose their ability to set proper boundaries and to understand what's happening with them beyond the glorification of the Kali energy, for instance, or, or things of that nature. And it doesn't develop into something that's actually of a useful service, which responsiveness is, right? Somebody who's very responsive, uh, that's fantastic. But the reactiveness of a storm is not the same as a responsiveness to an energetic um you know, happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Responsive within oneself and to the partner. Correct, and that's you. You said the you said the most important thing: responsive to oneself, honest with oneself, understanding what's happening inside, feeling what's happening inside before it even goes to the outside, mm-hmm. and not just vomiting and then going, "Oh shit, what just happened?" Right, because often in that extreme kind of emotional expression in men and women, uh, you don't even really know what you're feeling until it's been sort of, as you say, vomited over your partner. Uh, right. And then it's like, oh, that vomit was green. Oh, shit. I didn't know I had green vomit in me. Sorry to get it on you. Uh, right. Instead of <laughs> having the, what you're saying mm-hmm. is the important thing is to know to to know what the color of the feeling is inside of you and be aware of it and be responsive to it without necessarily just flailing it out there. Correct. Correct. Because it's abusive, you know, and and, I mean, you can glorify it every which way. And the people who glorify that kind of a thing usually um, have, you know, previous abuse in their, in their histories. So they can spiritualize it as something you know, quite fantastic, but it's actually not, you know, it's, it's actually quite, um, quite damaging. What would be the flip side of that? There, there's, it seems to me that in the conscious sexuality realm, there's this, um, this almost fetishization of the idea of the man is supposed to be this penetrating force and he's supposed to, penetrate with his presence or whatever the terms are and that can also in various ways be a spiritualized form of at the very least invasiveness mm-hmm. uh and in some cases uh of as you said abuse um what what's your take on on how that shows up in men yeah well you know these things are all true enough in their purest form, right? Meaning, um, most women in a, in a, in, we're, we're talking women and men now, not masculine, feminine, right? But with most women in a heterosexual relationship are the ones that, um, express a lot of energy and feeling and, uh, you know, not only, but in the sexual part of the relationship. And, uh, responsiveness and and um yearn to be guided and yearn to be you know to surrender and to kind of let it all go and just lean back and kind of dissolve that's that's an incredibly beautiful and amazing place to be in when you can really lay it all down uh, that i mean hands down best place in the world 
And as you know, that's also um, played out in kink, you know, in, in submission, all of those kind of things. It comes from a true, real place. And once you've experienced that kind of depth of letting go, I mean, the core of your body and your heart and everything is just like so open and, and washed through. So uh, I just want to say that as in that's where all of this stuff is coming from because right. it's, 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 it is such, right? And then on the man's side, um, being able to kind of facilitate that and, um, guide that and be with that and enjoy the fruits of that particular opening and opening in general in a woman is very, very compelling. And that's really the, the play, right? The, the, that particular sexual play. There's other sexual plays, but if we talk about that particular play, that kind of pinning, guiding, um, directing uh, of of one partner where the other partner get, goes completely surrendered and released and open, and of course both you, you know both people have to be deeply open for that and surrendered, not just the woman because um, you know it requires a surrender on the on the man's part as well. But so that all said, how it gets perverted and and um, kind of used once again in that dogmatic way is when it's somehow assumed that the man uh, does these things and if the woman doesn't surrender, then she's just too much in her masculine or mm. she can't surrender or mm. things like that. There's a million reasons why she wouldn't surrender. You know? One of which is, of course, that she might not actually trust him. Um, he might not actually have what it takes to to take her places that she wants to go or that she wants to open into. That's you know one way to look at it. Another one is that um, it's not appropriate in many parts of life. It's only appropriate sexually, really, unless you want to play some weird game of. Uh, daddy and little girl, you know, where, um, essentially the guy assumes that he knows better in all domains and the woman, you know, follows along because she wants to be told what to do. I mean, there's all kinds of dysfunctional, you know, versions of that. But, um, in its, in its purest form, you'd play that out sexually and not really in any other part of your life. I, Mikhail, I don't want to, um, I don't want to interrupt your flow because it's really important what you're saying, but I do want to say that there are people in the kink world who consciously entered what they call 24 seven dom sub relationships. Yes. And those can be disastrous. Probably the, the most disastrous relationship dynamics I've been in have been when I've attempted that consensually with another woman and it, mm -hmm. it didn't work out for either of us. But I have to say, I have seen people do that with integrity and actually. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. But, but I mean, th but that's a conscious decision and not based on some dogma. It's just what right. works for those people. Right. Right. So all of these things can be played any which way you want to play them if you know what you're doing. But if you're just going along by, oh, if I do this, this is the same uh, conversation as if I just stand this way and breathe into my balls this way, right. then I will get laid and this woman will think I'm great, right? The same happens in that when you talk about 
penetration and surrender or, you know, guiding and, 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 and receiving, when you just assume a certain posture, it's pretty hollow. And it leads to a lot of, uh, really strange scenarios because, um, what often happens and what I've seen a lot with people coming to couples workshops is, uh, it doesn't take into account that in their normal lives, so to speak, in their civilian lives, uh, the woman might be better as something, at something that's considered masculine. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, money, right? Mm-hmm. Or decision making. And then there's this whole thing, oh, well, if she doesn't, you know, if, if I, if I'm not the one, um, making the money or, or telling her what to do, then we can't have great sex. And that's not exactly true. What's true is that, um, that kind of penetration surrender requires that both people actively, um, you know, know what they're doing and willingly do it, which is why you're saying it works in certain kink situations or uh, 24-7 situations because po- both people really, really agree that that's their role. Mm-hmm. But most couples or even people who just engage in, in, you know, well, people who engage in sex usually don't have this issue because they engage in sex. It's the kind of sex they want and then they go their separate ways, lead their lives. And it's actually great. Where where I have seen most of the trouble is when people try to spread that kind of belief system into the rest of their lives, and it becomes pretty horrible because mm-hmm. everything is um, skewed towards: is it masculine? Is it feminine? Mm-hmm. Am I surrendering? Mm-hmm. Am I penetrating? And mm-hmm. and it becomes very clunky and awkward when you apply that to the rest of your relationship and your life. Yeah. Yep. Let's go on to two of the other uh, buzzwords that are often put across from each other. Uh, the idea of masculine depth and feminine radiance. And we've talked a little bit about that, but I want you to go into just a, a bit more detail about how these are sometimes used, uh, how they're usually used and, and where you think sometimes those usages are off. Mm. Well, you know, this goes back to what I've just said and I, I don't think I, um, you know, I went all the way with it in the very beginning, which mm-hmm. is that, um, when you make it so that you as the guy, um, needs to use your woman as a navigation device. Mm-hmm. And when you make the woman into this hyper-reactive tool of your navigation, you are essentially disempowering both parts, both people from actually developing themselves a bit deeper. Um, because you as the man now wait for that, you know, reactive force, and I said reactive and not responsive, right? The reactive force to see if you're on and off, so you're not actually honing your own navigation. And and the woman in in that particular play, um, you know, goes with whatever she's feeling without actually developing distinctions as to what is. Um, her reactivity, her trauma, her triggers, and what is the actual um, 
response right that arises through the body so then now we're starting to look at like you were saying uh depth and radiance right those are some buzzwords i mean what does that actually mean you know how do you know a guy is deep um you know or how do you know <laughs> my husband has this has this whole thing where he says oh you want to know uh how you want to know how a man is conscious well uh, put a mirror under his nose. If uh, it fogs up, he's conscious, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, and that's kind of it. It's just something we joke about because you always hear he the deep or the conscious or the present man. Well, what's depth? Well, it depends. It's all relative. What's depth? Uh, because what's deep to one person isn't deep at all to another person. Mm-hmm. You no. Know? And so, um, when, when you look at depth and radiance, what you're really looking at is the, and this goes more to what you were saying earlier, the life experience and the person you've become through, you know, the hard knocks of life, through, through learning skills, through softening your heart, all of those kind of things that happen as you live life and as you deal with, um, situations both incredibly joyous and incredibly horrible, uh, that particular seasoning, you know, of life in your body. Like you and I just talked before we started recording on, on, you know, the grief of realizing what life can be all about. That creates depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the depth of experience, the depth of realization, the depth of, um, you as a human being, the depth of your heart, right? It's once again nothing that you can produce by just standing a certain way and breathing a certain way. And, you know, there's a lot of um lore in the men's groups that if you just, you know, do these practices, you will become a deep man. And that's not exactly true. Do you do these practices, you become practiced in these things. Mm-hmm. But the, the the valor right the the fortitude um the de- you know the 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 depth of your heart is what makes you a deep man or a deep human because this is also true for women women can be incredibly deep um and uh you know there's there's once again this whole myth that a deep or or very present woman isn't attractive to a man and that's only true if she's lifeless right if if she's not if her body isn't alive if she isn't um um with life or her body expressing life but depth is 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 never a bad thing and so i would say that the depth of a woman often shows up as radiance actual radiance not fake uh you know i'm wearing stripper shoes radiance but but the kind of radiance that comes from having an actual joy and enjoyment in oneself and one's body and the fact that life moves through your body. And that's once again something that comes through, um, you know, honesty with who you are and, and where you're at and experience. And um, you can't just fake it by wiggling about a bit. So how would you distinguish from what you might call a, a superficial radiance uh, versus a, you know, a deep radiance mm. or uh, authentic radiance. And how do you see some of those ideas being misunderstood? 
Well, you know, when you say superficial radiance, of course, radiance on the surface is is the surface, right? It's mm-hmm. shiny eyes, shiny mouth, shiny skin, shiny hair, shiny clothing, shiny uh, jewelry, uh, nail polish. You know, all of those things mm-hmm. are the things uh, women have and use and adorn and everything to create radiance because mm-hmm. it's you know that's just the way it goes light yeah. light is what attracts um you know the opposite sex in in that way and so uh the superficial way is the way of painting it on both physically painting it on meaning you know makeup and jewelry and stuff like that and also uh behaving as if so like we were saying, a guy who starts breathing a certain way and standing a certain way, the equivalent of that is a woman moving a certain way and smiling a certain way and moving her eyelashes a certain way. And um, and that's also done often in workshops where the women are, you know, invited to, you know, shake their hips and move their fingertips and wiggle their toes. And that will, um, of course, create radiance. But if that radiance isn't backed up the same way as the presence in a man isn't backed up by the body actually having some conductivity of that, then it's it's very shallow and hollow. Because, um, you know, one of the things um, that's uh, very beautiful to see is when you ask a woman to actually feel some part of their body that feels alive or pleasurable or happy or sexy or sensual and they start moving from that place then from the inside out that kind of radiance comes out like when a guy relaxes and actually feels what's happening from the inside out that um, translates into a certain kind of a relaxed uh, awareness and so the deeper inside of yourself can you find as a, a you know as as a human but we're talking specifically women now in relationship to men sexually the more uh, a woman can actually find something that's genuinely pleasurable genuinely g- genuinely filled with life force genuinely wants to move genuinely wants to smile or express then you have some some real radiance and it's mm. it's incredibly i mean you know you've seen it yeah it's incredibly beautiful and often the most um dressed up and shiny women are not the ones who are the most sensually alive and and moving in a way that just gives you this feeling of you know looking at the most beautiful thing ever yeah i i remember uh a party i went to once and there was a guy who was somehow in the entertainment industry and, you know, he, he was like, oh, I'm bringing these models over and like, we're going to have these models here. And it was this big thing about these, these models that were going to come. And, you know, somehow I got caught up in that excitement, like, ooh, I've never really met models. Like, and <laughs> so then the guy comes in with, with these models who are just <laughs> supernaturally beautiful in this kind mm-hmm. of way that makes most guys just freeze almost and, and, and drop our jaws. But then they proceed to sit on the couch and this was a dance party and they were the, they were just sitting there like checking their texts and like looking really bored. We probably weren't cool enough for them, <laughs> but, but 
the people on the dance floor, whether they looked like models or not, were just feeling pleasure and in their bodies and enjoying the music. And it really made me see just what you said there, the difference between the the radiance in men and women just coming from this the outward appearance, which can mm-hmm. be stunning. I mean, mm-hmm. re- literally stunning. But versus a radiance that comes from taking pleasure in having a body and feeling it and moving it. Right, exactly. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about depth and radiance or, you know, those kind of things. You can feel it from the inside out or you can superimpose it from the outside in. And, um, you know, both are valid options, but you don't want to mistake one for the other. And often, you know, in, in, in those circuits we both travel, right? One is mistaken for the other. Mm. We're going to move on to, uh, two final catchphrases and, um, a pairing across from each other. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to ask one thing about all this, um, is as I mentioned, there's often lip service given to, um, you know, well, these are masculine and feminine. They don't necessarily pair up to man and woman. Everybody has both of them in them. Anyone can choose any poll. And that's, that's often given as lip service, but then there's mm-hmm. actually not very much instruction about in a heterosexual pairing about what it actually is like to consciously, uh, change the poles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, for one, I mostly identify as masculine and I mostly identify as, as a dom in the, in the kink world. But I'm very curious about exploring the feminine within me. And mm-hmm. I, I, I want to understand the feminine, not just in a superficial way, as we were talking about of, of just kind of getting a, a glimpse of it. But like, I actually really deeply want to go into that. And and I know a lot of women who who actually really want to experience their you know really aggressive or dom side or their some side of their sexuality that actually feels masculine, mm. but we're not we're not really given instruction on how to do that or or there's not really a conversation about how that happens and if yeah. that's okay and so people end up feeling very shamed about it. Yeah. Well. You know, in our workshops, we do very consciously engage in that for that exact reason, for everything that you've just said, because um, it's one it's one of those other myths, right, that it looks a certain way and between a man and a woman, this is how it looks. And that was probably true 20 years ago, right, but it certainly isn't anymore. And it's all it's 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 not true in the way um that you've just described, right? I mean, everybody wants to play everything these days. You might have preferences, but you know, you're not, you're not really hemmed in by those preferences. So one of the things that we've started doing a couple of years ago, which is one of my favorite things to do is we have both the men and the women work with different flavors. And because, you know, often you see this, that when the poles are switched, the women are um, made to to breathe into their balls, fictional balls, right? Yeah. And the men are supposed to uh, wiggle around like they think women should wiggle around. And 
uh, that's not very sexy. And then, of course, everybody goes, oh, well, that's not very sexy. Okay, I guess we'll go back to the other way. But really, when you look at it, both men and women love different flavors of expressions, right? So, like for instance, one of the things that we do in the workshops often is we have the guys really work with their bodies on expressing different flavors. Because, for instance, every almost every woman likes a firefighter, mm-hmm. right? Or a lumberjack. Mm-hmm. Or a spy, or secret agent, or a killer, or you know, a tribal chief, or things like that. Those are flavors, um, and they're not masculine or feminine per se, right? They're flavors, and then they can be met by another flavor. You know, like for instance, you could be, um, uh, you know, a spy, and and the the woman is playing with. Uh, whatever stripper or something like that, right? If you want to just be, I'm, I'm just throwing out some, you know, basic things. And so then, um, what happens is men get to actually express in their body how life as like, let's say, uh, a lumberjack moves through their body, which is very dynamic. And, um, you know, and, and you'll see that that really, really works often because women, for instance, love Chippendale energy. Mm-hmm. Right, that's considered feminine in a certain way, right? They're dancing, but it's not feminine in the in the derogatory way. It just means life is moving through this man's body, and probably the woman across from him will sit there and enjoy that, and that can be deeply erotic at times. Right, the exact same way it would be deeply erotic the other way around, where she dances for him and he sits on a chair and tells her how to turn or things like that. Right, so it can it can go both ways and it should go both ways, and each human should be able to kind of play with on on you know being wildly um, uh, expressed in in their chosen radiance or wildly expressed in their you know, in their chosen, uh, just, you know, restedness, however you want to call it, relaxation. And there's nothing shameful about it because if it's done right, it's highly erotic regardless of who plays who. Thank you. So our last set of terms we're going to talk about is, I know one that you have a lot to say on, which is this distinction between purpose and surrender. And we talked a little bit about these, but we're going to go more in depth again, as these terms are commonly used uh, in the communities, the personal growth communities, uh, West coast, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I'm talking about. Uh, The idea is that, you know, the man is supposed to have purpose, which Mm. of course shows the kind of subtle or not so subtle sexism when you're not clear that, that, these actually have nothing to do with man or fe- or woman. But the idea is, okay, man is supposed to have purpose. And the woman's thing to do is the opposite of purpose is, which is to surrender and just exactly. you know, flop about. And, exactly. And so where, where do you see those terms uh, mm-hmm. a- accurate and where do you see them going wrong? 
Yeah. Well, I think I'm, I'm going to read you something that Steve wrote as like some masculine. He was asked to write a masculinity hack on purpose, and I'll uh-huh. read you what he this wrote. Is, everyone, this is Steve James, um, Kayla's who's teaching partner. Co- co- yeah, who's my co-teacher and teaching partner. Um, I'll, I'll tell you about that in a second because it's a, it's actually it's a short piece. I can read it quickly, but it's very. Um, very apropos to what we're talking about because like you said it has this subtle and not so subtle insinuation that that's the way it goes and of course you know this is very dear to my own heart because I personally feel um, very deeply purposed you know I mean I I just am I I have such a strong um, uh, thrust and, and, and trajectory in what I want to do with my life, right? And what my life's about and what my teaching is about. And it's born though from a very, um, you know, very strong source that I wouldn't consider masculine or, or even feminine. It's just my heart, you know, must express itself in this way that makes me very purpose in, in, in the world. Um, and, how I go at that could look, if you really want to slice it, you know, in these super, super restrictive terms, could look very masculine. But to me, it doesn't feel um, like it's coming from that place at all. It, it's just arising, right, through my heart, through my body. And it, it looks a certain way. And within myself, I have to surrender to that impulse into that thrust because believe me there's other things I'd like to do with my life too that I'm not doing because I'm so strongly purposed so within myself I have to be equally purposed and surrendered so to speak to do the thing that I'm mm. doing and it has nothing to do with masculine and feminine in in, in the way it's used out there in the world mm. what you said was so stimulating because what I realized is if you look at people who are deeply on purpose, um, usually those people are taking some kind of risk to themselves, either social risk or in many cases, a a physical risk. Mm -hmm. And on some level, if you're going to do that, whether you're a man or a woman or anyone, there is a, as you said, a certain surrender into your purpose. So Mm -hmm. to say that these things are, are opposed doesn't quite track because if you look at the great examples of purpose in history, those people were very surrendered to what yes, they were doing. Exactly. Exactly. And they go together and you can't pull them apart. And so to, to once again appropriate them as in when the man's purposed, the woman, you know, will surrender to him. Uh, you know, it's not quite like that. Even in the sexual occasion, you know, you can't really, I'm going to say this very crassly, right? Um, you, you can only fuck well when you're being fucked well, right? So mm-hmm. meaning, meaning even the person who is the penetrator has to surrender to the occasion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, if you're trying to, um, direct the sexual occasion, 
the way it's often prescribed. You breathe a certain way, you push this button, you do this, right? That kind of a thing. It is like you're driving a car for the first time, right? And it's very awkward. And what makes sex the best sex ever is when both people essentially um, go with it. It will. It, it requires that both people surrender, not just the person who's being penetrated. Even the person doing the, the penetrating at the same time needs to be surrendered to the occasion. And so not even sexually does that whole one person has a purpose or a direction, the other person surrenders hold all the way true. And of course, also, uh, you know, we might go there a little bit later, when the surrender comes without having had proper boundary function to begin with, it's not actual surrender either. Mm. Yeah. But I want to just read you this thing that uh, Steve was asked to do this masculinity hack. There were like mm-hmm. 12 guys asked for their masculinity hack. Mm-hmm. So this was his. So it's called Forget About Your Purpose. It doesn't exist. There's no career, business, or work-life balance specially assigned to you by an existential taskmaster. There's no code to crack that will see you leap effortlessly out of bed each morning, finally secure in the feeling that you're justifying your existence. It's just a myth sold by spiritual conmen and entrepreneurial almost yogis who tell you that your don't know and not sure is some kind of a problem. It is the way of the superior snake oil salesman who assures you the reason the special sauce isn't working is just because you're not doing it right. Beware of those whose purpose is telling you to find yours. The truth is you cannot be anything other than you. You are never anyone else. It is impossible to be anything other than 100% in integrity. You are comprehensively, unwaveringly, and forever perfect. You simply have no choice in that matter. You cannot do anything other than your best. You are incapable of doing any better or any worse at any point in your life than you are already doing. And what is better anyway? Wake up. There is no purpose. You do not need a justification to be alive. Your decision-making process is color commentary. The main event has nothing to do with your personal narrative. Don't worry, you're not in control, and neither is your man's coach. Live the open question that is the heady rush of this. Dissolve the illusion of your fixed position by paying attention to what is actually in your experience. When you honestly say, don't know, you're finally, right now, life is impossible to fuck up. Hmm. That's profound. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I would like to add that within that space, one can feel a bubbling up of like, I want to do this thing. Like it's really important that I do this thing without having a big hullabaloo of like, and this is my purpose and I can write it in a binder and tell everyone my purpose in one sentence. But (laughs) no, no, no. It may, you may not be able to express it in any sentences whatsoever, but there's a sense of like, this is, I want to do this thing. 
Yes, exactly. But that, like you said, it, it, what's often confused is the, the depth of your, that what, what you said, that bubbling up, uh, is then confused into essentially making it a, a, a goal oriented thing. And then you go to your men's group and you set a goal and then you need to, uh, you know, be accountable for reaching that goal. That's just coaching one on one. That has nothing to do with your purpose. It's almost like asking a, you know, a musician, what's the purpose of that song? Exactly. I, I don't know any musicians who relate to their music that way. No, of course not. And no musician in their right mind would then go and have other musicians hold them accountable for writing the, the, the song in a certain way. I mean, that's just, that's just not the way it goes, right? And, and that's where some of these things become a bit um, funny, right? Because um, you can't quite slice it that way. Mm. Mm. One question I have about all of this is, as we've talked about quite a bit in this conversation so far, it's so crucial to not tie these things specifically to men and to women. Because obviously both men and women and every gender has both of these things and all of these things. But if we hold that as true, I've always wondered, well, why do we keep the terms masculine and feminine, which are gendered terms? Mm -hmm. Might it make sense to adopt different terms that kind of get at what we mean by masculine and feminine without using gendered terms? So, for example, I've heard you say um, go and flow mm -hmm. as a distinction. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about sort of possibly even just erasing the terms masculine and feminine and coming up with different terms that express some of those qualities. Yeah. I mean, I think anything you, anything that can be done for some of these, um, you know, gaps to be filled is, it can only be encouraged. And, and, you know, it is, we have, we, we I mean, we just had teacher training, right? In the teacher training, of course, this came up massively um, because how we as the, like you said, the California polarity crowd define masculine and feminine is not how normal people define it. Masculine means, you know, it's manly and feminine means it's womenly. Mm -hmm. There's no, there is none of that fine slicing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like you look at somebody and you, they're wearing a nice blouse with a bow on it. It's like, well, that's a very feminine outfit. Right. Well, that's not that, and, and that means just that. It's not some, you know, deep uh, statement on their essence or something like that. Right. So it, it it isn't very useful anymore, and becoming less and less so because a lot of people are very confused about it, and then you know, of course, lots of people have very strong opinions on it against for. It's just when you look at it more as um, you know, these things were once defined. Um, in a totally different uh, context, right? So one of my great loves, uh, you know, first loves is, uh, the vision, is, is, is a, is a tantric text that's, you know, over 2000 years old. Um, that's just a very, very beautiful text called the Vinyana by Arava Tantra. And, um, in that text, the 
whole philosophy of what we're talking about in the deepest sense, the sexual union, the merging and pulling apart for the sake of the, the sexual play and the sexual tussle, is described as a conversation between Shiva and Shakti, right? the god and the goddess. And that's where all of this stuff comes from. Um, this isn't something that was developed in the whatever, 60s or 70s. Um, y- you can trace that back, you know, into before written um, history where the god and the goddess, the, the two aspects of one pull apart to play, to kind of tussle, to create this erotic friction. And then in the midst of that depth of erotic friction, there's this moment of deep merging where you become one and you not only become one as two humans, but you become one with everything. And that's, that's what all of Tantra and what, what, what all of those things are really about is that, that, that incredibly exciting pulling apart and dancing as these opposing forces, right? The flow and the go, the, you know, whatever, the dark and the light, however you want to play that, it creates friction. The friction makes the hotness of the actual sex, right? Or the hotness of the experience. And then in the midst of that massive hotness, you have this moment where you just, uh, you know, you kind of melt and you are one and, and, it's like cosmic, right? God sex, however you want to say that. That's where all of this comes from. And then it's become, you know, distilled down further and further and further and further. And now we're stuck with masculine, feminine and all these weird gender roles and anti-gender roles and gender wars and all of that. It wasn't meant to be that. It, it was just meant to be that beautiful play that comes from mm. two opposing forces um, tussling. Mm. So we perhaps could do away with the concepts of masculine, feminine, if you want to. Some people really, really relate to those terms. But I've always been curious, as I said, could could we do away with them if we wanted to? And what I'm hearing you say is that as long as you have the, the polarities they don't have to be gender. You can, there's a polarity between light and dark. There's a polarity between active and passive. There's a polarity between, uh, uh, super, superfice, uh, artifice and authenticity. There's a polarity between authenticity and masks. And there's all these polarities. Exactly. You know, penetrating and receiving, um, uh, penetrating and surrendering dominant dominance and submission all these polarities but but as long as there is polarity you actually it doesn't matter if you view it as masculine or feminine or whether a man is doing it or a woman you can you can order it any way you want that's right and it's always exactly as exciting and erotically charged um you know uh, regardless of who does what if both of those are played yeah and 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 that's the real important thing beyond all of that, that all of those um, ways to be, ways to stand, ways to move are essentially a, a kind of a way to impose on the on the um, untrained nervous system, so to speak, or unaccustomed is the better word, unaccustomed nervous system, the kind of things that happen naturally when you just play with those opposing forces. 
Now, there was a reason why it was sliced this way, and that reason was that um, in the in in the in the aftermath of women's liberation, um, or, or through women's liberation, right? Uh, gender roles became the thing, and then the the sexual stuff got very confused because the sexual stuff was, um, of course, uh, tied in with the gender roles because pre women's liberation, so to speak, and you know we are talking very black and white here, but pre women's liberation, it was considered that women. Uh, did the womenly things and men did the manly things and that's the way it was. And in a certain way, because that's the way it was, the polarity was there. And, and, you know, without much, um, thought about it, the polarity was there. Now what that meant socially and what that meant for people's personal happiness and liberation, that's a totally different story. Mm -hmm. But just sexually speaking, what creates the strong attraction is two opposite poles. So if people are naturally kind of, um, um, you know, raised and bred and and culturally um, uh, forced to have opposite poles, Mm -hmm. right, then they'll have great sexual... Uh, play, you know, there might, there's other things, there's of course the suppression mm-hmm. that came with mm-hmm. that and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's not about gender roles or gender wars or any of these things. It's just about, um, being able to articulate opposite forces mm. strongly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you take it out of the relational, um, you know, relationships are difficult enough as they are without uh, fitting yourself into yet another box. With all that said, with all this acknowledgement that anyone of any sex or any gender can adopt any of these, and you don't even have to think of them in gendered terms. Um, with all that said, many people really do like to have a certain set of characteristics be identified as uh, you know, the masculine, and this is what a man is doing. And other people like to have that set of characteristics with, you know, this is the feminine, this is what a woman is doing. Uh, and playing with gender roles consciously and intentionally there. Um, and when that happens, whoever is playing <clears throat> the feminine role, quote unquote, is often asked to surrender. And like the thing to do to be feminine is to surrender. Uh, which, as you point out, can be one of the most exquisite experiences anyone can have. Mm. And when you're surrendered, you are, in a lot of ways, letting go of your identity structure. And a very important part of one's identity structure is your is your boundaries. This mm-hmm. is this is what I'm okay with. This is what I'm not okay with. This it, this reflects me. This does not reflect me. Um, and so it can be very tricky when someone is being asked to surrender uh, that you create in the situation um, safety where they still know that their boundaries are going to be respected. Mm-hmm. So how do you see um, the way to create that safety for, mm-hmm. for each side of the, of the, mm-hmm. of the distinction there? Yeah. Well, I just want to go back a tiny little bit before we go there and say that, of course, right, people have preferences sexually, 
right, mm. speaking. So like you were saying, you consider yourself mostly dominant in, in, in the sexual domain, but you are also curious about the expression of other parts of you, right? So, uh, we're just talking about masculine and feminine not being such good terms, but within that, each human has certain sexual preferences. All right, so I, for one, uh, definitely prefer surrendering, overtaking, or penetrating. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, ever so often, do I want to be the one um, doing the guiding or the penetrating? Yeah, totally, but it's not my um, general preference, let's put it this way. So, um, you know, so I just wanted to wrap that up because there is the man woman thing and, uh, and all of those uh, mm-hmm. things that, that, you know, that are self evident when you take it out of this construct. So with, with that said, there's a few things, um, at play. One of which, of course, is the fact that when, like you said, when you really give it up and, and this is to a certain degree true for both involved in the sex, right? Because like I said, whoever is the penetrator still has to kind of give it up to something bigger than themselves. So in in a real good sexual experience, you get transported into a very expanded state. And I'm sure, you know, every almost everyone has had that experience where you just go with it. And then the next day, you know, you, you kind of, there's this part of you that goes, I did what with what, you know, like, and you're almost a little bit like, Oh, but at the same time, it was so amazing. Right. But you kind of opened it way up and you went like, and you kind of let, let your inhibition or your control or your social construct go. And you had this amazing sexual experience. And then you kind of snap back to your original form and it's a little bit like, Oh shit. But that's of course, uh, what's, fantastic about really good sex that you know you have that little bit of a ah, that was a you know that was a little bit more than i usually would would show or be or say or do and so because of that and because it takes both people um giving up a certain something and then within that play whoever plays the shakti so to speak right the 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 one through whom life force and uh, flows right whoever surrenders is giving up is giving up control and wants to give up control and so of course then we enter consent and boundaries uh as a as a conversation because of course um the moment you give up that much control and the moment you surrender that much you aren't completely um clear on where does it end right and where does it begin and what's happening and it's a difficult uh conversation and at one fraught with a lot of controversy of course because on one end one could say that whoever surrenders is no longer able to make a proper call um on the other end of course we have to say that that surrender has to be willing and I said earlier at some point in the conversation, I think, uh, that you can't give up something you've never had, right? So if you don't have proper boundary function in your life and you can't actually say no for 
fear of not being loved or for fear of being uh, coerced or, or, you know, for fear of um, conflict or things like that. If you can't have proper boundary function in your life, it's highly unlikely you will have proper boundary function in your sexual life. And therein, uh, of course, lies the problem because you're not actually consenting if you're not capable of saying no. So what do we do about that? Because a lot, a lot of people are walking around, men and women, uh, with bad boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly um, fallen into that myself. I've experienced that from other people. It seems to be a fairly common feature of the human condition that we mm-hmm. are confused around boundaries uh, yeah. and often oblivious to them and often don't even care. Um, so given all that, that we all seem to walk around with that, how can one ensure that the sexual experience is more safe for everyone while still allowing for the possibility of surrender? Mm. Well, of course the, um, you know, the smuggest answer to that question is to say that you shouldn't sexually engage with somebody whom you don't trust uh, to to uh, engage fully and whom you don't trust to know um, you know and, and have the, the proper kind of conversations and and insight into what's okay and what isn't okay right so and why I'm saying that's the smart conversation because that's not always how it goes of course right but in an ideal world um, you'd be engaging sexually with somebody with whom you have a baseline of a um, of a relationship where you know that this person can be trusted and where you know that when you let it all go, they, um, they can be trusted to do the right things, so to speak, sexually speaking and, and otherwise, right? Um, that's the ideal situation where you are in relationship with this person in some way. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to be in a committed, you know, monogamous relationship, but you are in relationship with this person in a way that you know that when you give it up, they have the ability to make the kind of decisions that keep you both safe. Right. And at the same time that you know for yourself that when something no longer feels good, you can actually stop it. And that's a, you know, that's a hard earned skill, but it's nonetheless a skill that you have to learn. And if you don't have that skill, uh, you know, I'm, I'm making a very, um, black and white, hard nosed point here. But if you don't have that skill, you shouldn't engage in certain sexual activity because you could get really hurt emotionally, physically, you know, spiritually. Um, but of course that's not how it plays because also, you know, this whole area, is so fraught with all kinds of belief systems and dogmas because, you know, pushing your edge or going over the edge or playing at your edge um, in a certain way implies that you are not playing it safe, that you're not going with consent, that you're not going with boundary, um, but you that you just, you know, let let it let it go way further than you potentially would have thought so and somehow it's going to turn out okay and of course if you are with somebody who's incredibly skilled as a lover um 
I'm now talking from the woman's perspective, right? If, if, mm-hmm. if as a woman, you are with somebody who you know to be skilled in that domain, that person can take you places you could never take yourself. And that's what makes it such a great experience. But you have to have the internal, um, you know, discrimination and, and the distinctions to know that person to be that person. Mm. If you don't have that, you shouldn't fuck them. Mm. Or if they don't have it, you shouldn't fuck them either. I've definitely noticed in my own experience, when you talk about edge pushing, even if you're really conscious and intentional about it, it's fucking dangerous. Like, oh, yeah. It, it is, it's, there's a danger inherent to it. And I've seen... Correct. I've actually experienced the danger firsthand myself and with my partner like it's not a theoretical danger and so one needs to go into it like very very intentionally yes and like you said with your partner so you engage with somebody with whom you have a baseline of trust and understanding so that when stuff goes wrong which it inevitably does um you have a you know you have a place to go to and recover so to speak right it's like yeah if you're mountain climbing for the first time or free climbing for the first time and you're going with a guide you definitely want to make sure that guide has been up there before yeah and that you and the guide have uh agreed on certain things right and that the guide knows how to keep you safe you don't just take some guy who goes oh i've never been up there and i haven't climbed in uh you know a couple of years but I know more than you do, so let's do this, right? That you probably wouldn't do that. Some people would, but you know, for the most part, most people would be smart enough to go, "Ooh, no!" You know, I want to be with somebody who does this for a living, so to speak. And mm-hmm. So you know, that doesn't mean you need to be with a professional to have sex, but you want to be with somebody with whom you have enough of a baseline that when one of you slips. Uh, it's not the end of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And when we talk about boundaries and consent, when you are in the kind of relationship where it's known that you both willingly engage in whatever sexual acts you engage in, and uh, then you're going to push it a bit or you're going to try something new and uh, it doesn't work or it's not great, then you can kind of shrug it off and laugh and say, oh, well, oops, you know, or you go, oh, shit, that's not working. Or even in the aftermath, you go, one one person goes, yeah, that wasn't so great. But it doesn't, it doesn't erode the bedrock of the agreement or the relationship. It's just a, okay, this didn't work or stop or even in the aftermath, yeah, let's not do that again. Uh, what's difficult or dangerous is when you engage in what you consider risky uh, business, right? Whatever that is, that's vastly uh, different from human to human. But when you engage what you consider risky, um, you know, sexual exploration with somebody who you don't know who they're going to turn into when you go there. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that that's very, very dicey. Mm-hmm. I mean, one one implication of what you're saying, and I know that you often entertain things on different levels with different emphases, um, 
but one possible implication of what you're saying is seeing that perhaps there is some wisdom in the idea that you should actually know somebody before you sleep with them. And we're not trying to do some moralistic thing about saving yourself for marriage, but it does sound like there's an <laughs> implication there that there's, there's a, there's a kernel there that they, those people really got right, which is that actually you want to have a baseline of trust. And if you're sleeping with someone who you don't even know, let alone have a basis for trusting. Yeah. And, uh, then you're really courting danger. Not, yeah. not even if the person is not ill willed at all. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. There's, of course, um, exceptions to this, but this also goes both ways, right? So as the woman, uh, in, in this particular mix, as we're talking women and men, right? You have to wonder if the guy goes too far and you, you get raped or almost raped or violated in some way that you don't want to be violated at or whatever, right? But it goes the other way around too. When you're a man and you're engaged with somebody who you don't know, you don't know if you just haven't just, uh, you know, incited the psycho stalker from hell. This goes both ways, of course, right? Uh, it's always assumed that men don't get raped, women get raped, but, but men get violated plenty in those kind of, um, you know, uh, misconsent kind of, uh, situations. Or men think a woman says yes because she said yes, and they don't know that she can't say no, right? She's just not capable of saying no. So, uh, you know, she'll nod and smile at everything, everything. And you think you had a consent conversation and then she goes, well, you know, I didn't want to do this. Or, you know, there's, there's a million horrible pitfalls you can get yourself into. Um, uh, you know, both ways around or as a woman, you kind of, let it all go and then in, then afterwards you go, ooh, that wasn't good. You know, that wasn't a good guy. And then, you know, then what? And, you know, it, it's very complicated. So, uh, I would say in general, having a baseline is very useful. Now, of course, if you are very, very, uh, skilled and finely attuned to uh, being able to trust another human or read another human well. And also if you're finely skilled and attuned to your own signals and you have proper boundary function, you can engage in a lot crazier stuff, right? Because when you're, when you're really clued in, technically speaking, right? You could meet someone, um, have this really strong erotic attraction, go home with them, have wild sex, and um, and it'd be perfectly fine because you go only as far as it feels right, and when it doesn't feel right anymore, you stop. Which could be at any given moment in the in the sexual occasion, right? Where at any moment when it stops being okay, you end it at that particular moment in time. But very few people have that capacity for a million reasons, right? I mean, both, both ways. Oh, we've come so far or, you know, their needs kick in or they can't say no or they're greedy or craven or they've lost control or they're drunk or, you know, I mean, there's a million reasons why people continue when it, um, 
no longer feels good. And the flip side of that is continuing when someone is giving you stronger and stronger hints that they want to stop, including, I mean, that, that goes the whole range from just the, you know, the classic kind of pressuring a woman like, Mm -hmm. no, come on, let's do it. Let's do it. And that's a, it's a form of pressure all the way up to out and out assault and violence. Um, There's some percentage of people that are just, they truly don't give a fuck. Yeah. But there's also like a wider swath of people who, um, yeah, they just lose it. They're, they're kind of like not paying attention to the other person's like really strong signals and, 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 and even caught up in some narrative that, oh, well, uh, you know, a bit of struggle is like part of the, exactly, part of or the romance. Ravishing. Or exactly. The yeah, ravishing. The ravishing. And uh, you rough, know, the pirate the are, yeah. yes, you know, all of that. Well, that's what makes this also really difficult, right? That once again, there's these, these, uh, cultural, whatever you want to call them, memes, you know, of how it's supposed to be. And of course, that, that is the reason there's these cultural or, or, or dogmatic memes is because there is a truth to that, right? That tussle that there is, there is, you know, there's certain things reverberate in the body in a very pleasing way. And, um, but mostly what happens is people are not skilled or trained or aware of what's actually happening there in some fantasy land. Right. And so they don't actually, um, they're not actually in the moment of what's happening. They're in their own head or ahead of the game or in some fantasy, like you said, some fantasy novel or, you know, like romance novel. And they're not with what's, what's going on, both of them. Mm. And, and that's, that's the real issue, right? <sighs> yeah. Have consent yeah. conversations in the world. Uh, which most people nowadays are very good at because it's become such a big deal and it should be a big deal, right? Because it's a very, very dicey area. But all the consent conversations in the world uh, don't do you any good when you can't read what's happening. Because I could say to you, okay, um, we can go up to this point and not further, right? So you say to me, uh, you know, what are your hard boundaries? What are things, what are the things you absolutely wouldn't want to do and whatever, right? And I'll give you my hard boundaries. And so now we're going at it, but you, you have it in mind that you can get me to this point. And I said, you, you can get me to this point, but really suddenly my body goes, Fuck no, I don't want to go there. Right? So, but so now I'm caught, theoretically speaking, in my own consent conversation. You know, I said I was going to go there, but now my body doesn't actually want to go there. So what do I do now? Right? And, and the same then for you, you're going, Oh, she said she was going to go there. Oh, she feels a bit tense. Oh, that's probably just her wanting to play the, you know, the struggle out or something like that. So, so it's, it's dangerous when you, um, take the conversation for the only truth and you don't involve your feeling body, the, the you know, the innate wisdom of your feeling sensation that allows you to actually moment by moment, um, you know, kind of uh, calibrate what's really going on. 
Hmm. How do we square this with the the kind of dominant cultural paradigms of what is quote unquote supposed to be romantic or what is sexy or what we saw in the movie or what you saw in the porn or the romance novel. As you said, we're collectively realizing as a culture, I think at least parts of the culture that we need to be really clear about consent communication and, and massively up our game around it. And yet there's this, this sense that that somehow takes us away from everything we know to be sexy and romantic where it's supposed to be spontaneous <laughs> and it's supposed to just erupt and it's supposed to be this uncontrollable passion and that doesn't square with uh, the, the whole idea <laughs> can of like, I touch you, know, you here the, yes yeah. can and, I touch you here yes you yeah. know and yeah. and 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 by the way I know a lot of women who are like I don't want a guy to ask me if he can kiss me um and I can see where where they're coming from there. And unless a guy is really, 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 really attuned, um, which is the ideal that anybody is really attuned, but unless a guy is really attuned, pro he might not sense when you'd be okay with him kissing and when you wouldn't. Well, yeah, and yeah. He, well, how could he, right? I mean, even if he's totally attuned, he is not, you know, he's not that person. And you, can, you can't ever let somebody else have more agency over your own body than you have yourself, right? I mean, I think that's super, super uh, important that you always have to... um take responsibility for yourself above and, you know, I mean, so far above anything else. And, um, you know, that, of course, flies in the face of all the things that you just talked about, being ravished, being, uh, you know, this and that. And, yeah, it's nice when a guy knows what's going on. And, I mean, it's glorious when a guy can feel what's happening and, uh, you know, kind of – plays with that what what that is and 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 kind of opens areas that that have never been opened before or not for a long time that's amazingly um i mean you know it's it's life altering in a certain way and at the same time you can't you can't expect that the guy unfailingly knows what to do the feeling there or the 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 real issue is that once again when these things are taken out of context, right? Um, where the the meme uh, is is uh, substituted for the real thing, you, you're actually kind of you know playing each other for for the stereotype versus the the real thing, mm -hmm. and that's when stuff goes really south. And yes, culturally, the guy is supposed to sweep the woman off her feet, tell her what to do. Um, ravish her you know and 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 uh, you know when you see some of these things that are out there nowadays right and you see some guy slam a woman against the wall and you know fuck her up against the wall and stuff like that well if you if you look at that from a different viewpoint it looks incredibly violent and horrible 
But certainly, if your five-year-old would see it, he would think mommy's hurting the, or daddy's hurting mommy or mommy's hurting daddy, you know. But, of course, in a consenting relationship, those things can be really, really amazing. But you have to make sure that the, it's consenting long before you slam somebody against the wall. Yeah. And And even then, you have to feel every moment of the occasion if that's still the right thing to do. It's yeah. not a paint-by-numbers game. Wow. Well, Michaela, you've given me and given us all so much to think about here. I I always find my perspective expanded. I always find that you make me think about uh, new things in new ways. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your wisdom on these topics. Mm, thank you. Yeah, this is always great fun when the two of us can... Uh, just explore those different topics. So thank you. Yeah. And uh, everyone out there, if you're listening and you're not uh, in Michaela's world online, I would highly recommend that you get there. Um, she puts out uh, tons of great material. She's always sending out new podcasts, new newsletters. Um, she teaches um, uh, single day courses. She teaches um, weekend long and, and more than one weekend trainings, which I've taken a part in. Um, so I highly recommend you go and check out Michaela Bohm. That's M I C H A E L A B O E H M dot com and, um, get in Michaela's radar. <laughs> Thanks so much, Michaela. Thank you.